Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. Those are Elizabeth's words to Mary. Mary had received the message of the angel Gabriel, this incomprehensible message that she who was a young virgin would become the mother of God. And she believed. She said, Here am I, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. And so Elizabeth praises her. She says, Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And at the same time, we might detect a slight reproach for her husband, Zechariah. Because if you remember the story, he heard the message of the angel, the same angel Gabriel, and didn't believe. Zechariah was a priest of Israel, and that year it was his turn to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple and offer sacrifice to the Lord. And while he was there in that holiest place, burning incense before the Lord, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that his wife, Elizabeth, would bear him a son. But he doubted. He asked, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel tells him, I am Gabriel, who stand before God. I was sent to speak to you and to announce to you this good news. But now you will be speechless and unable to talk until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words. Why is it that Zechariah didn't believe? He was clearly a man of faith. He was there ministering before the Lord, fulfilling his priestly duties. The Gospel of Luke even says that he was righteous in the sight of God. It seems to me that he hadn't given up all hope in God, but that his hope had become vague and distant. Early in their marriage, I'm sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed fervently to God that he would give them a son or a daughter. But as the years wore on, their disappointment grew and their hope became dull, and so did their prayers. So when the angel tells Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall name him John. It's too much for him. He's taken aback by how concrete this promise is from the angel. He tells him not only that he'll have a son, but what his name will be, the style of his life, that he'll drink no strong drink, what the mission of his life will be, that he'll go before the Lord to prepare his way. He, it's, it's all too real, too specific for Zechariah, who had grown used to praying vague prayers and hoping vague hopes. This is what the gospel teaches us today, that God's promises are specific promises. They're not distant or vague. They're concrete, and they're for us. And that's the only kind of promise that inspires real hope, isn't it? If you had a friend who said to you, hey, this summer we're going to do something really fun. Put it on your calendar. We're going to have a blast. And you say, okay, what are we going to do? And he says, well, I haven't really thought about it yet, but we're going to do something fun. Okay, that inspires some hope. You start thinking about it. But if your friend says, July 4th to July 8th, Mark your calendar. I've reserved a cabin. 
right on the river. We're going fishing, bonfires every night. And he starts to paint the picture for you. Well, that inspires hope. Then you start thinking about it. Then you start daydreaming about it when you're at work. But vague hopes or vague promises don't inspire a living hope. But the promises that we have in Scripture are very specific promises meant to inspire in us a living hope. So let's take a look at some of God's promises to see how concrete they are. We could break them down into three categories. Those that have already been fulfilled, those that are presently being fulfilled in us, and those that have yet to be fulfilled, those that will be fulfilled in the future. We have an example of the, a promise of the first category that has already been fulfilled in the first reading from the prophet Micah that we heard tonight. The Lord says through Micah, You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient times. The Lord speaks to this insignificant little town in the Judean countryside and promises that from this little town a king will arise. Not only a king over Israel, but that one whose dominion will extend to the far reaches of the earth. Imagine how unlikely this must have seemed. This was uttered several hundred years before the birth of Christ. How unlikely it must have seemed that someone from this little town would rule not only in Israel, but for, to the far reaches of the earth. And then in the intervening years, even more so, when Israel was overtaken by Babylon and by Assyria, when Jerusalem was destroyed, when the temple was thrown down, when the line of Davidic kings seemed to be lost and broken. But God never forgot the promise that he made to this little town. And several hundred years later, the true king, the king of kings, was born there. A second category of promises are those which are being presently fulfilled. For example, just before ascending into heaven, Jesus promised his disciples, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. And it might have seemed to them in that moment of glory, but also of sadness as they saw their Lord disappear before them into heaven, that that was a kind of soft consolation. Like a young man might say to his girlfriend as he's going off to war, I'll carry you, I'll carry you in my heart. I'll be with you always. And you say, kind of. It's not that he doesn't mean it. It's not that it's not true in a way, but... It's not the same as being together. And yet Jesus' promise is not some kind of vague comfort. Look how specifically he kept his word. He is here with us. Here in the tabernacle, his body, his blood, his soul, his divinity. And he dwells in our souls, not only in our memories, not only in our thoughts, but he mysteriously indwells us and lives in us. Jesus 
keeps his word. He's nearer to us now than he was to his disciples in his years of walking with them in Galilee. He promised, I will be with you always. And he's kept his promise. Then finally, there are those promises which have yet to be fulfilled, at least for us. Like the promise of heaven. And again, the promise of heaven is very specific. Part of the reason why the promise of heaven doesn't really move us to hope, why it doesn't really impact and shape our lives, is that we treat it like some misty, unknown future. But the Lord has made very specific promises to us about what heaven is. We know that our bodies will be raised and glorified. We know that in heaven all strife will come to an end, the strife between nations, the strife between families and infamilies. We know that finally that civil war that rages within us will come to an end and we'll no longer suffer temptation, we'll no longer sin. We will be good, we'll finally be good. And we'll see face to face the one who has always known and seen us. I don't mean to say that we have a neat picture of heaven. It's infinitely more than we can imagine. But mystery is not the same as vagueness. As long as we don't mean anything by the word heaven, heaven won't mean much to us. It won't move us. It won't fill us with the joy of hope. But God has made specific promises about heaven, which are meant to inspire a living hope. So there are two ways that we can live out this message from today's gospel. The first is by claiming the promises that God has made to us in Scripture. Micah said, You, Bethlehem, you. And the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, Your prayer has been heard. The promises of the gospel are for you. So I want to invite you in this next week, it seems like a, a, a big homework, but it's, uh, it's worth it because we're just coming up on Christmas to read through the whole Gospel of Luke and to find five promises that are for you and to claim them for yourself. The, the Gospel of Luke is full of promises. There must be more than a hundred there. Find five that are for you and claim them. Claim them as your own because they are for you. Listen to just a few promises that you might find in, in the Gospels. Jesus says, do not worry about what you are to eat or what you are to drink or what you are to wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given you besides. This is a promise. The Father knows what you need and if you seek first his kingdom, he'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. Or listen to this promise. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's a promise. And it's a hard promise, but it actually brings consolation because when we experience persecution or when we're slighted on account of our faith, we don't have to wonder or agonize over whether we did something wrong. 
Rather, we can rejoice in the fact that God's promises are being fulfilled in us. This is what he said was going to happen, and here it is, it's happening. Or finally, hear this promise. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This brings us to the second way that we can apply this message of hope. And that is to pray specific prayers. Enough of vague, uncommitted prayers. Let's risk something with our prayers. Let's ask for something real, something that we really want. Let's make specific, committed prayers. One of the missionaries told me that there was, uh, there's a man who, when he was a freshman in college, put a big piece of paper on his wall in his dorm room. And every petition that he made of God, he wrote it up on that piece of paper. And every time a prayer was answered, he put the date that that prayer was answered. By the end of the year, God had answered 53 of his prayers. A few weeks ago before I left Oregon, a young woman who's a volunteer missionary at Oregon State shared with me her testimony. She, when she was a senior in college at Oregon State, she was about to begin her winter term, and she found that when she went to register for classes that there was a hold on her account. She had made a mistake, and she hadn't paid her full tuition the previous term, and without knowing it, she was accruing interest over the course of months. At that point, she had quit her job several months earlier, her savings were dwindling, and her family was in financial straits and couldn't help her. So she just couldn't pay for tuition. But she had already felt that God was calling her to be a volunteer missionary the following year. And she knew that she couldn't unless she was able to finish uh, school in, that, in, in that, those coming terms. And so that night, she got on her knees by her bed, and she prayed. She said, Lord, I believe that you're calling me to be a volunteer missionary. I don't have the money to pay for this. Please help me. Please pay for this somehow. I don't know how, but come through for me. The next day when she woke up, her former boss called her and asked her to come in to the office. She was a little worried. It sound, he sounded a little bit stern. And when she got there, he asked her to come into his office. She sat down and he said, Olivia, I want to apologize to you. Over the last three years, we've been underpaying you every month. And he gave her a check for several thousand dollars that was enough to cover her tuition. That was the next morning. Well, the Lord came through. She prayed a specific prayer, and the Lord answered. Our God answers prayers, and He fulfills His promises. And His promises are for you. 